Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories? This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. My guest this episode is an adventurer at heart, travelling the world as a young Aussie backpacker in the 1980s, working as a camp counsellor in San Francisco, to going on to becoming a stewardess on David Bowie's yacht. She then went on to the adventure of entrepreneurism and 17 years ago launched one of the first juice bars in Australia. Yeah, that was before they were on every single corner. The name of this juice store was Boost Juice. Boost Juice now has over 420 stores in 13 countries and interestingly enough, Boost has more outlets in more countries than any other juice bar in the world. Janine Ellis is a dynamic personality. She's done many things and is currently one of the investors on the Channel 10 show, Shark Tank, which launches into season three this week in Australia. Janine is natural, warm and generous. And in our conversation, she talks about that she has the same difficulties in juggling it all that many of us do. So sit back, soak up the insights and the stories from the beautiful Janine Ellis. So Janine, welcome to to this this podcast. Great to chat with you. No, thanks for having me. So Boost Juice has over 420 stores in 13 different countries. It apparently has more outlets in more countries than any other juice bar. I want to start by taking me back to the morning where you opened your first store, which I understand was in Adelaide back in 2000. What was running through your head that morning, if you can remember back then? Wow. Okay. Look... Many things, I think. I think the first thing was, was it, I think the first thing that goes through my head is, God, I hope people turn up. And I think, and even today you open a store and you go, God, please come. I think you're going to come. And the plan says you're going to come, but please actually come. <laughs> True, right? We, we do all the research. You do, you've done all the marketing. You've done, you've got everything there, but it's still just this point of, are people going to come? Yeah. Do people care? Do people even want it? So I think it's, look, you know, when you're um, starting off, you, a fear is an enormous uh, motivator and an adrenaline junkie because you, um, you're so frightened that things will go wrong. You, you, I think you try 10 times harder to avoid all the things that could possibly go wrong. So you're really prepared. So, um, you know, and also I didn't have any business experience. I had barely life experience. So, you know, it was a real, you know, wing in some respects. And naive played a huge part because having three kids at home and really not knowing what I was doing, um, that didn't. That allowed me not to put barriers on what we could achieve because you, I didn't know there was. Uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. So, what helped you in that? Uh, in that, I guess that you know, sense of um, are they going to come? How did that morning go? What was that? The rest of that day like for you? Well, it was actually quite a funny story. Um, we opened our doors. It was in the CBD of Adelaide in an eleven o'clock. I remember opening the doors at eleven o'clock, and like. CBD, um, 11 o'clock, there's pretty much no one around, but literally opened the doors and I had probably 50 people walk in the doors and I went, oh, my God, they are coming. Yes, it's fine. They've, I don't know how they know about it because we didn't do any marketing, but they're coming. And so as people were walking in and we had wheatgrass displayed and, and look, to be honest, the store, I look back now and go, oh, my God, that was a terrible design. Um, and I thought, oh, my God, they're all here and found out later that there was a bomb scare in the building and the whole building was emptied and we're the only cafe open in the street. So 
I know. So here I'm thinking that, you know, suddenly it's a great concept ever, but really it was just the fact that there was bomb scare. But um, that was my very first day. And, you know, I remember standing there, had a jug in my hand with a staff. This is the night before and going, right, this is a smoothie. And, you know, this is what we do and these are blenders and, you know, this is, you know, we add this and these are the recipes and this is why, this is the philosophy and this is what we're going to do and this is the vision. And, and you know, to, to stand in that floor and go, right, here are jugs and not, not one boost juice had been served, created, made and to show them how to do it is, um, is quite incredible when you sit here, you know, 17 years later and you go, wow, we've sold millions of these. It's huge and I imagine the lay of the land back then, that concept was incredibly new. Oh, yeah, it was. It was completely new. Um, and, you know, no one really sort of heard about it and no one even knew about it and it's quite interesting because I remember um, there, I can't remember the author's name but it was a he was a fiction writer and he was from Adelaide and he I remember someone said to me, oh, you're mentioned in his book and it was about six months after we'd opened our doors and, you know, not six months after, it was six months after we opened the doors, he went into our store. And so it was in this book about, you know, a fiction book about this thriller and he was talking about the, you know, the main character went into this, you know, Boost Juice bars and bought a smoothie and, and they, he described the store and it went, and then off, off, oh, he went to murder someone, I think. But, um, the, but it was quite like, oh, my God, we mentioned in a book. It was sort of like all those firsts are, are like are quite, are quite um quite extraordinary and business is a roller coaster ride you have your incredible highs and you're like you're on cloud nine and you think everything's going well and then you know a staff member will steal from you or you get robbed or you know something goes wrong and you just go oh it's so hard (laughs) yeah yeah and I imagine there is some of those um things happen on the same day so you're rolling that roller coaster in a very short space of time I imagine Look, they do. I, I firmly, I don't know if there's something about moons and orbits and I have no idea, right? But I tell you what, there are some days where the moon must be in the wrong orbit and every single phone call or everything that happens is a disaster. And you just go, oh my God, let's just go back to bed and just, just start another day. And then other days is you get these amazing winds and yeah, you know, so it's, so I, it's, it is a, such a great ride, but you've got to be prepared to hang on tight. Yeah, and remember the good times in amongst amongst all those down times. Yeah, so 17 years on, what have been, like what's one of the the big lessons that you now take on board um, given, you know, if you were to go back and have a quick chat to yourself when you were kick-starting, what's uh, maybe one piece of advice you would give? I think I would celebrate the successes more. Um, I think as as a, I, I don't know, maybe it's my makeup, but I think a lot of people are like me. I expect things to go well. I expect to have wins. I expect to have my targets met, right? So when I meet them, I go, right, I've met them. What's next? So instead of going, oh, my God, let's stop and smell the roses for a second, actually celebrate the fact that, you know, we wanted to get 100 stores in so many years and we achieved it. Let's Instead of just going, okay, we've got that. What's the next next one to I think to stop and relax into it a bit more um and I think I was so and I still am really hard on myself with regard to you know when things go wrong it's like you know I really you know really go okay that's never going to happen again it's like when I played netball and when I was playing netball if I dropped the ball and it affected the the team to lose lose the game I would make sure that 
I would do 10 times more the next time to make up for that one mistake. And I think business is like that. If, if you know, things go wrong, you go, right, that's never happening again. How can I do it? And how can I turn that negative into a positive? And it's just sort of that, um, you know, that constant battle with, you know, emotions and fear and and joy and and all the things. It's a bit like parenting, really. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is, and that can all happen at 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so you look – you're an adventurer at heart. So even when you left school, I understand you went backpacking and went travelling around the world and yep. ended up getting a job as a steward, stewardess on David Bowie's yacht. Like, tell me, how did you get that job? Because I can't imagine it's a job that was advertised in the local rag. No, no. I got the job from the local pub, actually. Um, I arrived in the south of France and at that stage I was 21 years old. I had no money. I had like $40 in my wallet. That was it. I had $2,000 worth of credit card debt and I'd already cashed my ticket home to get more money. So I was pretty much in France and just just there. And um, I said, um, you know, asked, I found out that you could get work in the south of France on yachts. And so I went there um, just thinking I'll, I'll find work somehow and found out that um, I said, how do you, is there an agency? Is there a place I can go? And they said, I just go to the local pub. You'll, you'll, you'll meet someone to know someone. So sure enough, rocked up at the local pub, have heard that there was a job on a boat called Deneb Star, which was in the next village on from where I was. And um, so I, you know, I, I rang up and I got an interview and and convinced them that I was this amazing experienced stewardess from Melbourne and um, got a job on this boat. And then six weeks later, David Bowie bought it. So it was, um, it was, you know, and it was, a, it was a really great ride, you know, for the next, you know, two years, it was, you know, um, going to the Grand Prix, it was going to the Cannes Film Festival, it was doing the Atlantic Crossing to go to Monaco and you're meeting all these superstars and rock stars and it was, yeah, it was quite a, uh, for a young girl from literally the eastern suburbs of Melbourne who had a very sheltered life, it was a big eye-opener. Did it hit you at the time what that experience was like or was it just there was work to be done and, and you've got to get into it? Yeah, look, it was it was hard work. I mean, one of the things that taught you was work ethics. I mean, you were, when you were working through the summer, um, you may not have had even a day off for two months. Like it just that's how it was, and it wasn't as if it was a hotel where he had shift work that you know you go home and you come back the next day. It's you, you're on all the time, and so and yeah, everyone just get no one sort of complained about overtime or anything. Everyone just got on with it. It is what it is, and you do it what you do. Um, but it was it was fun, you know. But but it was but then again, you know, guess who cleaned the toilets? You know, it was me. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, and you know, and even though Bowie was incredibly um, generous with his, um, you know, he never really sort of went, oh, it's them and us. You know, if there was a party to go to, we'd all go to the party. You know, it was um, so he was very generous with regard to that. Like he never had that. You are just my minions. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you were the one that was, you know, washing dishes and cleaning toilets and and you know all of all of that type of stuff. And you were there as a as a stewardess to meet their needs for day after day after day. Um, but you know, it was it was it was good fun. Yeah. So you've also been a publicist for a movie company. What was it about sort of PR and marketing that I guess you you learnt and maybe are now even carrying forward in the work that you do? I think um, the key thing with PR is, and this is what I learned, is that at the end of the day, the journalists I met, 
they're just there to do a job, you know. They've got, like, the papers have got uh, lots of space to fill. They've got to make stories. And so as a publicist, it was my job to make their jobs as easy as possible. And if I can make their job really easy, then I would get more um, airtime. Um, so I think it was just sort of understanding that the media isn't this evil beast, but it's actually a uh, a tool that you can, you can use to assist in getting um, – in getting airtime. And look, it's a double-edged sword sometimes. It, it works for you mostly. It sometimes works against you. But at the end of the day, you're just going to understand what the beast is. And that and by being a publicist, um, you know, I really understood how that all that world ticked. And also suddenly I was also hanging out with movie stars and rock stars again because um, my job was to, you know, bring people down from America and actually tour them to promote their movies they were doing. So again, it was, you know, it was another, I think actually interesting. I um. As I said, I grew up in the absolute eastern suburbs of Melbourne and, you know, was completely sheltered. And so for me growing up, you know, rock stars and movie stars were like some semi-gods, you know. They, they can't be human because, you know, they're, they're special people. And then um, working with them on the boats and then working with them as a publicist, what you did realise is people are just people. You know, there's really nice uh, superstars and they're real not so nice people and you know there's nice farmers and there's nice fishermen that I came across on the boats and it was not so nice and so people were people so what it did do for me in business is when I actually started going to business I never looked at anyone as better than anyone else um, yeah so you know some people come to women come to me and go oh, okay I get really intimidated by you know by a lawyer or an accountant you know if they say this it must be true and you know, what was good about, I think, my experience is that I went, okay, I've got common sense. I don't know the law, but, you know, I'm, I'm here to learn. Um, but I was never intimidated by anyone. And I think that sort of, I was just there to get an outcome for a meeting or outcome for a, for, 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 from a contract. So that I think helped me in business by just realizing that really early. Gives you that perspective too, does it? Do you are you someone who's always sort of been able to back yourself, whether it's been jobs that you've gone to or uh, work that you've needed to put yourself forward? Has that been part of your kind of personality trait? I guess. I think I'm a I'm fundamentally a half full person, so I kind of think that I'll be able to work it out. <laughs> but yeah, you know, really conscious of what I didn't know. So, you know, I would never turn up to a meeting. If I actually asked someone to to meet with me to, to give me some advice, um, the first thing I would do, I'd sit down there, I'd thank them desperately, but then I'd take a pen and paper out and I would just sit there as a student of and just write everything I possibly could do. And then some things, you know, what, what I find with those meetings and anyone listening to this, you know, when you go to those meetings is the person will give you all these nuggets that they'll throw on the table and some of the nuggets are relevant to you and, and they resonate with you and some of them don't. So you just pick up those nuggets that actually make sense to you, put them in your pocket and you go and implement it. And that's what I did. I made sure that I, you know, I was a terrible networker because I had kids at home and had hardly any time to breathe, let alone network. But when I did have those coffees with those people who were generous enough to meet with me, uh, I, you know, I just made sure that that was, I was sitting there with basically it could have been a professor of business and he was, you know, giving me a lecture. You know, when I've sat with lawyers who I begrudged paying their $500 an hour, but how I justified it was I took a pen and paper and I thought, I'm not going to sit here and just listen and say, you know, whatever he says goes, I'm going to sit there and, and really understand 
the contract and really understand what I'm doing. And I think that extra knowledge that I got really set me up for business in the future. So instead of just going, they're the lawyers, they know what to do, I'll just follow their lead, I really asked a lot of questions. And what I found was when when you ask questions is they make mistakes and they make a lot of mistakes. And so to don't ever trust a lawyer or accountant or any professional at face value that, you know, no one knows your business like you do. So I think, you know, make sure that, you know, if you're going to sit in front of a guy who's going to charge $500 an hour, make sure you leave with value. Yeah, beautiful. I read something the other day that said that it's had this belief that women often have a relationship with fear and not necessarily with bravery. And uh, as a as a generalisation, as a stereotype, men are often taught to value bravery much more. And it was making this call for us to come and step into what having these micro bravery moments. Have you had a micro bravery moment even in the last couple of weeks? Um. I'm just taking up horsemanship. I've got to feel, I feel like I have to be brave to stand in front of a half ton of horse and, and try and tell it what it's doing. So I think if I talk about bravery, I think um, I actually am going through my bravery stage learning horsemanship. Um, look, I think um, with business, every single day you're making decisions, you're making decisions quickly based on the information you have. And, you know, I, I am actually, funnily enough, for, for someone who's created the business that we have, I actually am um, quite conservative in my approach and whatever decision I make, I really do the research. Um, I think you need to have people around you that that um, help you be brave too sometimes, you know, because it's all – it's a fine line between brave and stupidity. And, you know, you've, if you're going to make a decision that is is outside of your comfort zone, just make sure you've done the research. But then again, I also say if you're if – you're, goals are too reachable or too easy to get there they make more braver goals you know make make them make them scary I mean your goals should be scary if you make a decision in business you should be a bit scared because scared will make sure that you take a lot of focus on um, getting it right I mean I know um, in the early days I did some I did I did um, I acquired our first business and the person I acquired it from was actually quite relatively arrogant and thought that they, you know, they were, you know, like I didn't, I only went to school to 16 and this guy, you know, had an accounting degree and, and thought he was, you know, thought he was very clever. And because I was so conscious of getting it right that I knew his contracts better than he did. And by being really high detailed and really having a high care factor and also fear, I ended up doing an, an, an amazing deal and that person who was arrogant to think they already knew everything actually um, were, were well worse off. So, you know, bravery is important but make sure you've got the army behind you to support you. And I think what you're calling out is kind of fear that comes with action. So if I'm not certain, then I step in and I do something and I find out or I ask the questions, which is is really powerful. Action is everything. You know, like if I sort of sat down and went, I need to understand business before I start business, I'd be still I'd be still not wouldn't have started the business. You've got to get going because that's when the learning curve starts. You know, like quite often and sometimes I think it's a fault with our politicians, is they're all theorists. You know, paper and books, sure, things make sense. But throw in human nature, throw in greed, throw in fear. And, it, you know, forget the books, throw them out. It's You only really understand how it works until you do it. Yeah, true. It takes me to 
the next piece, and I read this in your book where you said business is a marathon and not a sprint. And so there are times where we um, something hasn't worked because we just haven't stuck with it long enough. We haven't persisted. But there are other times where we stick with something that really we should have let go. How do you make the call between those those two? How do you know when to persist and when to eject? Look, it's a really good question. And um, quite often it's, it's I do the hand on heart. Um, I go, hand on heart, have I done every single thing in my power to make this work? And quite often it, it is, you know, sometimes it's the greatest idea, but the execution was appalling or it was a great idea, but you had the wrong people running it. And so I think that if I feel like I've I feel like I've had the right people, we've had the right resources, the right focus, the right everything, and it hasn't worked, then it's time to let it go. But if I feel like that I haven't given it the right shot, then you find a way through that and you stick with it longer. Now with Boost, there was no option other than to to stay with it because we had everything on the line. I mean, we'd already sold our family home. We had um, we had more debt than we could possibly pay off in five lifetimes. And you know, we weren't you know we weren't given any money. It was all money that we'd earned or or um, some was um, some friends had invested. So we weren't flushed by any stretch of the imagination. So it yeah it was so it's a, it's an interesting one. Mm. When was the tipping point with Boots where you started to go, no, this is this is going to work? Look, it, you know, I think it was um, probably in the first year. I mean, I, I didn't have anything to compare with, like, again, because I was, you know, a mum and, you know, my, my youngest son at the time when I started Boots was seven months old. So he was, you know, he was, I was still breastfeeding. Um, so I didn't have time to sort of compare. So I didn't know if the business was going well or not. I was just knowing that the, the business was making money, even though it was just making a small amount of money. A year in, we opened our first store, actually simultaneously two stores in one day, um, in um, shopping centres. And that was probably the, what we when we found out the volume that we could start to do. And the shopping centres just showed more foot traffic and with more foot traffic what we could do and what we could pay in rent and, and all, you know, it really opened a lot of doors for us. And um, and so that was the moment that we thought, yep, this is it, let's go for it. But it was also that, you know, the tipping point was, you know, every, every year I never felt like, I always felt like I'd moz if I thought, oh, we're there yet. I mean, we're not there yet now. You know, we've got a long way to go before we reach, oh, I don't think you'll ever, you, you never reach your goal because you always keep adjust, adjusting your goals. Um, you know, it's also how you compare with, like, you know, Starbucks has got thousands and thousands and thousands of stores. You know, why can't we have thousands of stores? Why can't we be, you know, as, as big as Starbucks? You know, why can't we be as big as McDonald's? You know, so, you know, in some respects, we've just got going. Yeah, true. And look, a lot of people listening would have um, a same sense of big goals, big dreams, be highly ambitious. And in amongst all that, uh, striving for success is also just the sheer busyness of how do you stick with it for a long period of time without losing sight of who you are. So for you personally, how do you chase success and make sure that you don't sort of drown in your own to-do list and make sure you get a good night's sleep in between? And all of what you've said, I've done poorly. You know, there was times when I didn't sleep. There was times that I lost myself. There was times when, um, you know, I don't think I was that good of a mother. You know, there was times I wasn't a good person nor a good wife, you know, and nor a good businesswoman. There was, you know, the journey is when you're doing something at, at an extreme and working the hours that you need to do and the travel that you needed to do, often things fall through the, through the cracks. And it's just a matter of recognising it. I think the person that the thing that you always leave to last is yourself. 
you know, I made sure that the kids were right. And then I thought, you know, the relationship was right and the business is right. And then, you know, if there's anything left over, you know, you might get it. <laughs> um, and that's, I think that's a female trait, but it's also a, um, a, a nature of creating something like Boost. Um, and it's, it's, it's anything of an extreme. So if you wanted to be go to the you know next Olympics, well to get to the next Olympics you've got to sacrifice. You've got to you know give up friendship. You've got to go give up you know going out for for drinks. You've got to you know give up you know cake. <laughs> so you've got to give up things to get what you need to get. And and I think that I look back and you know I remember one time um, that I sat down and I thought when was the last time I ate. And because of my, my adrenals were just going, I was on, I was in constantly in fight or flight mode because you just do when you, when your business is growing so quickly. And it was four days. I actually hadn't had a meal for four days and, 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 and no point was I hungry either. Like it was just this, because when you're in fight and flight mode, you know, you, your appetite goes because you're, you know, you're in running mode, you're in survival mode. So it's, it's interesting the, um, the journey that you go on, but you know what I, it's like, um, not that I've ever climbed Everest, but that feeling like achieving something that is so hard, but you get to the top of it and you go, wow, Jesus, I don't want to do that again, but my God, was it, was it a journey? Yeah, amazing. And it is it is being able to take note of that along the way, as you said earlier, to kind of celebrate those wins. And in amongst it all, and uh, I guess even amongst, you know, four days of not eating and the adrenals kind of kicking in, we can sort of keep going through the motions, keep doing the action, but be in a bit of a funk, for want of a better word, where we're just feeling a bit flat. What helps you get out of that, that sense of just feeling a bit flat? Um, well, I found I found being busy stopped me being in a funk. Uh, I didn't have time to be funked. Um, the look, I I think um, I think having a partner um, that's really supportive was was huge for me. I mean, I would come in at during the during the day absolute stressed out of my brain, and you know Jeff would turn around and go, "Hey, it's fine. Like it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It'll be." And even though he may not even know what I was stressed about. Just having someone at home to put things in perspective was great. You know, having, you know, uh, as I said to you before, I sort of, there was times where I thought, oh, gee, I'm really not spending enough time with my children. You know, so I went, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to read the whole Harry Potter series to them at night. So then I forced my, you know, so you, I tried to put techniques in to, to get me out of funks or get me out of things that aren't right. I mean, life's always, for me, a continual pendulum, a pendulum of, um, you know, too far one way and too far the other. You know, the only time I ever sort of get a little bit, you know, bluey or whatever is if I've got, haven't got enough to do. Um, so, so, but I think for women listening to out here who are starting their business and feeling over, overwhelmed, it's normal. You know, it's, it is, it's not like you go, what can I change it? Can't, I can't do it. There's always a way of doing it. You know, they say if you want something done, give it to a busy woman. You know, and it's true because if once we're, once we're at that capacity, we just can. And, you know, when things go wrong, when you send your kids to school in the wrong uniform, which I did, you know, it happens. You know, don't, like, I found humour was, was my saviour in, in the fact, in actual fact. And, you know, and I still use humour all the time for the stupid things I do all the time. I took my child to a pony club last month and I made sure she had a helmet and boots but I've got the pony you know like you just you just you know you, you just have to go yep that's another genetic yeah and I'm sure the mothers of school hung out with me to feel good about their parenting you know like 
you just you just have to just get on with it and you know throw guilt out the window because I also believe that you know um, a happy woman is a better mother and wife and for me business made me happy you know and so so I I really never felt I felt guilty about some of the things I could have done better but I never felt guilty for for doing being on the journey I was on yeah exciting so adventures obviously weave their way through all of that we've got um another series of shark tank coming up and yes. uh the year ahead so with shark tank what what was the thing that prompted you to take up that role with shark tank look it was an interesting one when it when it came up um i was actually at a point where i thought you know is it is this something i'd like to do you know i, I don't know if i really wanted to get you know, slammed by trolls or, you know, you see those horrible horror stories. And I'm sure that, you know, I, I'll say things that will, will be trollable. Um, and but what I found was is that I'm actually one that loves an adventure and I saw the Shark Tank experience as an adventure. And, and I also believe that I just want to learn. And I found that I learned as much from the entrepreneurs that came on board about different industries than I had to give as, as advice. You know, I learned a lot from my fellow sharks about business that I never, never normally would have been exposed to. So I really think I'm on this planet to learn as much as I can about things that interest me. And I found that Shark Tank was perfect for that. Thinking about the year ahead, and that's a beautiful way to kind of keep that learning and adventure going. What's, what's some of the things that you want to make sure that you don't forget this year? Um, look, you know, uh, what I don't want to forget, I don't want to forget, um, about the importance of, of health and fitness. Um, I, I do, you know, yoga on a daily basis. I became a, a qualified yoga instructor last year. Um, I, um, so I think that's really important. My children are at all different ages and they've got different life cycles. You know, my oldest is 26, who's just about to have a baby. Um, and, uh, and my youngest is eight. Uh, so, and so I'm still sort of in that journey of having a young child at home. So, and then I've got two in between. And so they've all got different needs and just sort of, you know, making sure that you keep connected with them. And, and, you know, what success is to me is sitting around with a family dinner and everyone laughing and everyone genuinely getting along and loving each other, which, you know, luckily, fingers crossed, um, I've got it and I'm loved by my husband and, and I, and I love him back. And so, if I think about success, I think that I am successful, but not because of boost or, or financial success. I'm successful because of my family. Beautiful. Look, Janine, in, uh, in rounding up, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. Um, and I feel like we've kind of answered it with the last one, but I'm going to ask you the question, if I offer that term up to you, what does it take for you? What does it mean for you to live a standout life? I think a standout, it's, it's interesting, you know, because you, when you're younger, your standout life is to win things and, you know, whether it's a netball grand final or, or you know, to, to travel around the world. I think when you get older, um, I think a standout life is one that you respect people and you're respected um, and that that you can you can give back to all the to all the people that have given me through my journey, it's now my time to give back. Now, whether that's on advice with Shark Tank or some of the mentoring I do or or the fact that I can make people a bit, little bit healthier by having products with fruit and vegetables in them. You know, so I think my standout life is to make a difference and hopefully whether I make a difference just in my children's lives or, or broader, then, a standout, then for me a standout life is that. Thanks, Janine, and thank you for making a difference. No, oh no, hopefully. That's what I'm trying. <laughs> thank you. No worries at all, Alison. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.